Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. As 2023 gets going, we're making some changes. And so real quick, before we launch into the daily episode, I just want to hit on a couple things. If you like what you're hearing, we appreciate the support. Please give us a five-star rating on the audio players. It helps promote the podcast and get its popularity up. And I certainly appreciate all the effort that our community brings to the table in supporting us in the mission of National Fire Radio Give us that five-star review, subscribe, like the page, send us your comments. And this is the fun part about what we're doing this year. We created a new email address for you all to send us your thoughts, ideas, and comments or questions or concerns or hate or love or anything else in between. You can email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. What that email address will do is it will come as a direct line of source for information regarding the podcast. And so if you have anything that you want to hit us up about the podcast, sponsorship opportunities, ad reads to questions, thoughts, and ideas, we're going to be rolling out a question and answer episode once a week. And it's going to be directly from the emails that are sent in to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. So take advantage of that. Send us your thoughts and ideas and questions, and we'd love to answer them on the air. And lastly, I just got to mention our website, nationalfireradio.com, is where you can get any of the swag that we're putting out. All of the merchandise that we sell goes right back to supporting the podcast and the National Fire Radio brand. We are super excited for 2023. We have a lot coming out, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the podcast. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and her crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017. Over 200,000-plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500-piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts, pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com, and if you do order, use this promo code, NFRSENTME, all one word, NFRSENTME, and you'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everybody, Jeremy National Fire Radio back on the podcast today. This is going to be a fun one. We've already spent a half hour talking before I even hit the record button because when I get together with this guy, the two of us compete for airspace to talk. So, Steve Crothers. Steve, thanks for joining me, buddy. Hey, Jeremy. That's it? Just hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Well, Nothing like I don't get a thanks for having me. Look forward to this. Again, I, was just, I, was, I was being patient, letting the air kind of move through the room. And I love I it. Say what you say. So, you, so let me, a little backstory on you and then how we met and, and where we're going to go. Because I think we got a long future ahead, too. Uh, this has been just a lot of fun uh, to call you a friend and a brother because I truly enjoy my time with you, as I alluded to in the in the very short intro. But you deserve a little more than the intro I gave you. So 24 years with the Seattle Fire Department, currently a lieutenant in the training division, 28 years in the American Fire Service, 
You own Response Training Group, which is the company, the training company that has a few different, uh, uh, you know, uh, levels under it. And one being the very popular TractorDrawnAerial.com. Let's talk about TractorDrawnAerial.com. This is what I get from your website. Tractor Aerial, TractorDrawnAerial.com is dedicated to celebrating the most iconic fire apparatus in the National Fire Service. I love every single thing about that sentence. Everything. I love what you're doing. I love the discipline you share, the topics you talk about, your knowledge of the tractor-drawn aerial, the TDA, the tiller, the hook and ladder. That is the as iconic as it gets when it comes to the American Fire Service. Yeah, Jimmy, I wanted to say thank you for that great <laughs> intro. <laughs> That's awesome. You're out <laughs> of your mind. Just wait that pause. And, uh, Dramatic well, I, pause. I yeah, I... <laughs> I appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, you said it so well. I think I just feel so blessed to be able to have the opportunity to talk about something that is so unique in the National Fire Service, but garners so much attention. And, and you know, as a as young kid, we're all want to chase down the fire truck as it runs down the street. But when you saw that big, long hook and ladder, that was the one that just captures the imagination and, and is just so fun to be around and and so unique in the, what it does in the National Fire Service, but then unique in that how it operates. We have two people independently driving the front and the back end. How does that actually happen? What, what occurs there? And, and that's a really fun aspect of what we get to do and share that message with people as we, we travel around and, and teach people. Yeah, but it's so unique, right? Like I think of like iconic. Iconic means like the foundation of the fire service, right? There's there's a few things that are iconic. and The Dalmatian, right? The, the call box, yeah. right? Things like that. But then you look at like the black and white photos of apparatus racing down the street. You got the steamers being pulled by the Clydesdales and the horses. But then you also have a basically a tillered ladder, that's being pulled. And so iconic means that every black and white photo from Americana of 100, 200 years ago in the American Fire Service basically had tillers operating in every metropolitan downtown you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they've been around for more than 100 years. Yeah. The first one ever built was in 1868. I mean, so nice. Daniel Hayes, this guy who came out from New York and went to San Francisco ends up building and patting the first tractor drawn aerial. That's cool. And, um, you know, so it's been around that long and you're right. It, it, it's our first aerial ladders was potentially from a tillered apparatus. And, um, and so they come all the way to where we are in present day. And to, to think about they go, they harken all the way back then to where we are now. And we've all been, you know, around them or operating on them, had the luxury or fortunate enough to do that. That's what's cool about this, this rig is such a rich history. And I think too, right? I mean, you come from Seattle, which has a culture of uh, tractor drone aerials, right? And that's probably has something to do with the foundation of how you got into this. Because I have to say this, and I, I really want you to expand on this, the backstory of it all. I mean, how did you find your way there? Because it is super unique. And most firemen, firefighters over time never have the ability to operate off of one. I think they've become more popular today in the American Definitely. fire service. And we'll, we're going to hit on that, but the foundation of all of this, I mean, to be able to go around the country like you do and be the premier authority in teaching operations, theory, apparatus design, uh, you know, and you, the list goes on and on of what services you offer were tractor drawn aerial. Where did the foundation start? How did you even get into this? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, well, I think it's based on one, when I learned how to drive in Tiller, there was no roadmap. And 
I've always been interested in the why, and that always pushes me to ask more questions, dig deeper. What's the intent uh, whenever you're trying to understand or learn whatever you're trying to learn? And even more interesting to me is the process of understanding how to explain the why, right? I'm so intrigued with that process, clearly communicating the, the proper way to explain your vision, your message, whatever it is. Uh, what's the best way to explain the why? And it's fascinating to me. And for me, if you're open to it, what I've learned over the years is, is that it will take you on a journey of discovery. And that's where your brain really opens up. And so when I learned how to drive in Tiller, uh, there was no real roadmap. The guy who was teaching me was doing his best to, to teach me, but I got to be honest, um, I was faking it till I made, you know, making it. it typically what firefighters do, right? I yeah. wasn't going to say I didn't understand what was going on. I, I didn't know why the rig was doing what it was doing, but I was figuring out as I was going, I didn't, I didn't have the why. And I was doing as good as I could do, but you know, you're as good as the person teaching you and um, you're taking in all their good stuff and you're taking all the bad habits. The right. problem is you, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what the bad habits are, or the good habits are. They, they seem reasonable to you because now you're doing it. And so uh, I was always blown away by there was no clear way. And currently in the national fire service, there's no, standard on how to drive or tiller these apparatus and so and like i said they've been around for more than 100 years so depending on where you are in the country you can have extremely strong opinions and philosophies on how this rig should be driven and different regions have different ways of doing it and the the problem with that is is now you're you're and even with like a department my size like we're a thousand firefighters in seattle uh so even within our city you can have different parts of the city doing it differently and the problem is that you could have a guy on A shift, you know, driving uh, a certain way and the, and the firefighter on C shift drives a different way. But now the guy on A shift jumps over and does an overtime shift. And now these two are opposed to each other, not driving the same way because they don't understand what they're doing. And that can have some pretty dramatic negative effects on the rig. And so um, the way my brain works, I wanted to dive into this and I wanted to capture what was happening. And when you think about, like, think about that 30 year firefighter when they retire what happens to all that institutional knowledge, you know, just poof, it just disappears. No, they right? share it with national fire radio, Steve. That's well, what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you are helping change that. That's for sure. <laughs> go ahead, brother. Sorry to derail you go. No, that's good. Because I think that is uh, a big part of what firefighters want is they want to understand that experience. And when they try to ask that through your member, typically that firefighter unless they're really good about communicating or they stopped and understood what they've been doing they'd have a hard time telling you what they're doing yeah it's years of failing and making corrections but they weren't stopping and recording what they were doing while they were doing it right um and and so for me i wanted to capture that what was happening uh, i wanted to reverse engineer what the driver and tail operator were doing and then create a a clear road path for that and so I found two guys in our department um, by the name of Pat Irving and Scott Hool, who were a team that driven and driven and tiller together for more than 20 years. And Pat just retired two years ago, 40 years in the fire service. Nice. Um, and yeah, solid dude. Solid yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, I love that. Real experienced guy. And then Scott Hool will retire this year with more than 30 years in the fire service. And when you looked at those guys driving and tiller, there's two things that stood out. One, they could make this thing, make this rig sing down the street into some of the tightest areas. But what was even more impressive about them is they were always trying to get better, they were always trying to improve what they were doing. And so for me, I remember going to those two guys, sitting down with them and having a conversation. I told them, I said, hey, I've got this vision. I've got this plan. I want to build this training. I want to build this roadmap. 
and here's what I want to do. And I kind of, you know, gave him the pitch. And, and I clearly remember, I remember their response. And now they were very patient and, and let me kind of say what I need to say. But uh, I remember them sitting there going, hey, Steve, I, I appreciate your enthusiasm, appreciate your energy here. <laughs> but uh, I think this is something you just have to do. You just have to, you have to do it. And when you do it, you'll start to experience and understand right. it. Everybody's different. So because of that, I don't think this is something we can really teach. This is just something you're going to have to kind of get in there and do. And uh, I remember quietly, you know, kind of chuckling internally, recognizing that why they were saying what they were saying. I, I realized that, you know, this is, you know, they, they weren't sure. So I asked them, Hey, would it be okay if I, you know, spend time with you guys asking you questions. And they were like totally open with that. And I, you know, I just, so I spent hours asking very specific questions, being extremely intentional about why are you doing this? What is the reason you chose to turn here? What are you doing to the tillerman when you do this? Why is that a bad thing? What do you call this? What's the process when this happens? Why is he looking on this side versus that side? What's the benefit, the downside? And you know, then I would, I would leave and I would build some curriculum. I'd bring it back to them. I'd, I'd have them look at it. We'd massage it, we'd go over it. And we just did that for a long time. And the coolest thing happened and probably, I don't know, the funnest part of the story would be that there was a time when I saw these two senior, extremely experienced men have, I, I consider it like the floodgates opened up yeah. and all of a sudden they had a language. And they could communicate a message that they had a hard time communicating before. Now they had names and definitions and terms. And all of a sudden, you could see them light up. And, and, and that's where the foundation started, where we could really launch and get into the weeds and talk about more things. And that language, you know, the goal was for me is two things. One, I want to create a process where a 26-year member and a two-year member could get in this rig without talking to each other and drive down this road and be very competent. Right. and consistent and the consistency was probably the biggest thing because when you're not consistent with this apparatus it can be really wonky and and that's where it can get a bad name and it's and it's basically these two people doing things that don't understand how it's affecting the other person in a, in a negative way and so um i mean for example jeremy i could take you out to a, a cone course rodeo driving rodeo i could say jeremy get up in the rig okay take a right right here okay go a little deeper here Go a little wider here. Hey, stop, hold, don't turn yet. Now turn right there. And, and you go through all these rodeo cones and not hitting. And at the end of that, you'd be like, hey, look at me. I, I didn't hit any cones. I, I was successful. Right. The problem with that is, is you didn't understand the why, right? Why did you go stay wide here? What did it benefit you? What part of the rig needed to stay wide? And how did that benefit you? What was happening on the other side of the rig? And what was the guy in the back doing to help you with that? And you didn't understand the why. And so that was the other thing we wanted to do is really teach people how to, to explain the why. Because you see, what we found is when you teach that firefighter the why, that why is knowledge. And that knowledge becomes power. And that power translates from that firefighter taking that knowledge out into the real world and applying it. Remember, they don't have experience yet. But what they have is a roadmap that they can gain experience. And what you see is their growth is exponential. I mean, it goes so quick. They don't have to take 30 years to make all those mistakes. They can learn it in a way that they can understand and apply it. And that's where the power comes in because now they can apply it to real world situations, that formula to any situation in their city based off of whatever the city throws at them at the time. And that's where it gets exciting to see this rig come alive. Yeah, we, we're just we're just talking about going forwards. Imagine going backwards. That's a whole different world. Like that's 
so cool. Yeah, well, I sure. think I think I mean what I'm all I'm hearing is process matters, and you're a, you're a process yeah. guy, right? Because we all have the same end game, the end goal. We want to get and cross that finish line as a team that's working together at the betterment of our company department and on the residents that we're serving. And so what's super unique about that, not unique, but what, what's really interesting about this is hearing how much of a process guy you are and how the why matters, because now in the fire service more than ever, we're starting to get people asking that why, right? For yeah. so long, like you said, when you got in the seat, you just sat there and, and you know, <laughs> you, you faked it until you maked it. And, and today we might have some of that, but we're getting a lot more people wanting to know the why. And I think that's, that can be an exciting thing for many, but most, a lot of people don't like that also, right? It's like this double-edged sword of like, they ask too many questions, they don't ask enough questions, right? And so for you though, I think the uniqueness of the TDA and understanding and then, and then seeing the value in you breaking down the process and building a process that's formalizing terminology and operations. And then you see two seniors guys, like all of a sudden they have a new language between them. What they've been doing for years yes. now, yes. now has title and, and for, you know, definitions to it. I love that. Yes. Yeah. I, I think too, to your point about people don't like the, you know, everybody asking the why I think there's, I think that's absolutely true. Like there's a lot of people who aren't willing to go, find out on their own or do the work and so they expect someone to give it to them so yeah. there's that part of the double-edged yes. sword for sure so what we try to do is uh, the message that we would be communicating already has a built-in so where it's obvious to them that oh well yeah why and what's funny is people are like oh well why haven't we been doing this forever like why has someone come up with this it's not like well it's taken years it takes a lot of time and energy to do that and i think for us when things really started to change is we started teaching regionally where we were at and then um, Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, ended up having an unfortunate experience where they rolled their tiller rig in their city on a response. And, and the, the, the actual accident was captured on video. And so then it was kind of, everybody could see it. And so of course, from our side over here on the West coast, we we're like, what happened there? And so we were, we were, you know, taking the, the tenets of our skill set and, and applying it to the accident, not knowing what happened, but going, okay, this, this, that happened, this must've been happening obviously not knowing, but we kind of put together what we, you know, intrinsically thought occurred. Of course, we ended up calling them and starting a conversation across the country about like, hey, we, we, want, we want to know more about what happened. This is what we think happened. We want to understand. And it, you know, it's such a cool process because the collaboration between two departments that never met each other and were talking to each other and, um, they were really open to our message and wanted to understand what we thought. And yeah. so over time we built this relationship of trust and eventually it grew to a point where uh, they were, they, you know, they said, Hey, would you mind coming out here and showing us what you know? And, and um, you know, we said, sure. And so, you know, it was for us, it was more about the process. We wanted to go out and test our, what we've been doing. Yeah. And hell yeah. They, they paid for our airfare and our, our hotel and took care of us. But, no one was getting paid. We took our own time. It was just like, hey, let's go out and invest in this process we've been in. And we went out there. And here's what was interesting. I had this vision of like, hey, maybe we could capture this, you know, capture some video. This is back before this was a thing, you know, kind of thing. But I was sure. like, if we could somehow capture this, that would be kind of cool. And so I asked them, I said, hey, would you guys mind if um, we were able to interview your dudes and kind of capture this? And, and unbeknownst to me, they were like, yeah, sure. And so I remember going out there, we taught them, we spent a week with them, really built a rapport, had some trust. 
And I, I still remember that the day that we interviewed the guys, the guys who were in the accident, the four guys, um, oh, oh, Kelly Lamato, she was on, she was on the accident as well. So it's three guys and then Kelly. Um, what was interesting about that was there was no chief sitting in the room with us saying, Hey, you can't say this. This is off limits. Yeah. Don't touch that. Don't talk. No one in the Raleigh fire department said that they gave us carte blanche on our interview, which That's I awesome. thought was crazy. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't know how to interview people. Like, I mean, I barely know how to run the camera. And uh, so we did the interview. Um, they just asked us like, Hey, at the end of that, we'd like to have a say on what goes out. And I said, sure. absolutely, you know, absolutely. So went back, uh, again, not knowing, didn't know anything, you know, figured out how to edit it. I, I worked with some, you know, close friends, a, a good friend of mine, Brian Mayer, who was just a solid firefighter. He's a, he's a battalion chief in our department now. Uh, he helped hook me up with some guys who helped me edit. It took about a year to get this video together. But here's the thing. I sent that video back to Raleigh, North Carolina. The chief at the time was uh, Chief McGrath. He looked at the video, had his, had the four people who were in an accident look at the uh, video. And he said, don't change a thing, send it out. And I was just, what? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, they, they, you know, basically had an accident that the whole world saw that wasn't flattering, but they were willing to make change. They wanted to really grow in their failure process. And then they were willing to let the world see it. And he was like, the more people could see this, if this can help out, I'm all for it. And you know, at that point, the internet, I should say the National Fire Service was, you know, finally starting to get involved in the internet and sharing information as we do now, nothing like we do now, but it, it you know, we kind of launched it and it, it kind of went viral and that's kind of changed, you know, what people wanted to know, like, what are you guys doing? Like, I'd like to know what you guys are doing. That's where, you know, I started the business and we started having the opportunity to share our message. I think, yeah, there's so much there, man. That is what, a, what an incredible experience to have a command staff and an administration that's, that sees the bigger picture, right? We're, we're always in, yeah. we're always in damage mode and, and we're always trying to, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, there's just so much there. It speaks volumes to the type of department they are, the leadership they have, uh, their trust in, in a fellow brother and, and, you know, your, your crew that came with you. I mean, there's just so much there. And I, I think that's what propels our job forward, right? We, we need more of that. We need more people like that in this industry. We need more people that are making those decisions to better this job because what, what, that, what Chief McGrath, I think you said, uh, what he did was he propelled the fire service forward. And, yes. you know, by making a decision like that. Absolutely, which unexpectedly, you wouldn't expect someone to do that, especially like what you just said. We typically want to you know, close ranks and, and not let people know about what happened. And, and they were open to that. And today this video still lives on the internet. People, st I still get, you know, texts and emails about people, how it, it helps them in their department. And so what a cool way of being able to, you know, take a, a an unfortunate situation and make us be able to get that in the fire service. Yeah. So then building out this process, putting process to the pavement, figuring it all out with, you know, within your home, and then you take it to the opposite coast, Right between all of that, all of a sudden it's like, Hey man, there's a need for this, right? This is a real specific type of uh, a piece of equipment and apparatus that is very different from a rear mount or, or a mid mount. And it requires, you know, uh, a, a plenty of attention, if you will, and that the process needs to be viable so that it could be used anywhere. Right. I mean, basically what you did was you built a blueprint for how to better 
the operations of a TDA and better the people that are operating it, as well as then, <clears throat> excuse me, hopping into design and delivery and everything else on top of it. So give me a little, like, break it down for us. Tractor Drawn Aerial now as a company, as your training company, what do you guys handle? I mean, it's soup to nuts, no? It is. And and before I even answer that, I want to just say something that kind of yeah. made me think about, like, the 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 TDA or the tractor on aerial nationally has been it's it's an interesting apparatus in that um, if you've been around it and you see what it can do you're like there's there's no better truck I mean this thing is amazing what it can do in regards to what it can bring to the scene and how it can get there even though it's the biggest truck out there in regards to overall length but this maneuverability and if you have a team that understands how to maneuver it it can get there and again like I said the sheer volume of you know you know, equipment you're bringing to the fire ground is uh, no one else can beat it. But I, there's, it's also had some, you know, some bad raps with it. Like, you know, there's an accident. Are you familiar with what's called an oversteer accident? Yes. So that's, you know, with the tiller up, you should just said yes, but I guess I'll explain it to everybody. Yeah, no, right. I mean, yes, it's, it's good. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. I realized you said yes, so I'm going to explain it to you. Anyways. I'm sorry. I should have said no. <laughs> See, this is those no. pre, those pre interview <laughs> notes, Steve. We talked you got to be this, like, right? Hey, yeah. I'm going to ask you questions. Just play dumb. And then I'm going to act really smart. Go ahead. That's awesome. No. Uh, <laughs> so the, uh, basically the tiller operators coming out of a turn, he steered the back of the trailer and he's trying to bring those wheels back to the neutral position, which means that the, the tiller wheels are in line with the trailer. We call that neutral. And so if the tillerman doesn't bring it back to the inline position, um, they can steer out past the inline position of the tractor and trailer. The trailer can swing out past the tractor. And that's where it would potentially come in contact with, you know, car, a pole, a fence, whatever object out there. And it can cause a lot of damage if it happens. And we call that oversteer. Well, that's an accident that, you know, typically gets, you know, pegged with the tractor on air. Like, oh, if you're going to get a tractor on air, you're going to wreck that rig. That, that was always what I would hear around the country. Like, oh, people are kind of afraid of the rig because of that, that reputation. And um, it is true that if the tiller operator doesn't bring those wheels back to neutral, that absolutely will happen. So, and, and then I would say some of the departments, so we, most of our business, you know, most of our department, or excuse me, most of our training is with departments that have never had one before, right? They're getting one for the first time and, and we're going to come out and do everything like you said. But there's there's a percentage of departments who have had TDAs um, and they will bring us out because either one, they've had some major, you know, unfortunate accident. Their department has had a huge turnaround. So their senior, all their senior firefighters are gone and they've got this young, you know, force and it just wasn't communicated well. And so they don't have a good message and they want to, communicate that so they bring us out to provide a formalized process and, and give them the process well i've gone to cities some big metropolitan cities where uh, i remember going to this one city and i was just blown away by the condition of the apparatus like yeah. they were just tattered mm -hmm. just dense everywhere you know and i and i was whoa that for me in my world that's like that's that's not normal but for them, it's, it was normal. And, and, you know, the common theme was like, oh, you know, it's the price of doing business when you have a TDA. That's just what happens. <laughs> well, for us, yeah. you know, and, and I get where that comes from because it just becomes normalized, right? They're just normalizing this practice of like, oh, yeah, you got a TDA, it's going to happen. From where I came from and the, the process of which we built, we were like, no, no, we can 100% we can eradicate the oversteer accident if you follow this, you know, this skill set that we're going to teach you. And when you're able to show a department like that, that for them, it's like, 
I wouldn't say life changing, but definitely like, holy cow, like, why weren't we driving to this standard before? And, and it's not their fault. It just didn't know that. And there was no culture that created or reinforced this idea of driving a certain way. So um, for us, it's been fun to see how we can change the fire service in this, this kind of mantra of where people might think like in a certain region, like, oh yeah, you're just gonna, you're gonna get an accident. It's like, no, we've got, I've got a department out of Florida that we trained 10 years ago, never had an oversteer accident. A department in uh, Oregon, eight years, never had an oversteer accident. Department in California, eight years, never had an oversteer accident. So like it works. And if you've never driven or tilted before as a department, you're a clean slate. So you're like, yeah, this this works. Why wouldn't you do this? And that's been really rewarding and fun to watch. It's cool. How you can impact yeah. culture in that regard. Yeah, for sure. So then take me to it then. I mean, you know, I, I, we're going to, we're thinking about uh, purchasing. Well, the, the popularity of the TDA is through the roof these days. Right. And I think there's, um, you know, I, I think social media has a lot to do with it. I think the resurgence and excitement of the operational side of firefighting is there's been a resurgent where we, you know, just like uh, on the engine companies with more aggressive hose loads and lower hose beds and all of that. Right. Yes. We're seeing the same thing. And I think it's right in line with the, with the TDA. And so, you know, so the popularity is has exploded, and you might know the the numbers. I certainly don't, but you know, I have I have to think I'm accurate in that statement. So with that comes there's a there's a lot there, right? Because any department that wants to go from say a rear mount or mid mount to a TDA or the inclusion of another company, whatever it is, right? The reason why, talk to me about that process and how early on it in the process should somebody like yourself get involved because it is so unique? Well, you're, you're absolutely right that the, the popularity has changed dramatically over the last 10 years. And um, you're seeing now, cause remember these rigs were typically bigger industrial, you know, cities that were having these rigs. You didn't see them in the smaller cities, but now all sizes of cities. I mean, we just did training for a department is 50 firefighters and they got a TDA yeah. and it works really well for the department because they're using that rig as a rescue and a truck. It's all combined in one apparatus. Right. Um, so there's different variations of that, but to your point, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I built the website tractorcomarrow.com. I built it for two reasons. One, to your point, I just, just to celebrate the coolness of this apparatus and let's, let's harken back to the history and just, you know, recognize that current day we, we get to see a rig that, like you said, was back in the black and white photos. Yeah. But this, the second thing was, is what we found is the popularity because these rigs started to die in the late seventies, early eighties. And that was because of budget cuts. That was the real big reason why these things started to die. Uh, um, and then as they started to make their, their kind of comeback in the, the 2000s, um, we didn't have a lot of people in the fire service that, you know, were around to talk about how these things were one operator or how you would build them or yeah. what the benefits of that. And so I wanted to build the website to take a place where someone could come and learn like, hey, if I'm going to buy this rig, how will I spec it? What does that look like? And so I, you know, it's free. Anybody can go on the website and you just look on all, I've got so much information on like, here's the different pros and cons of why you would do this versus that. And so when a department's interested in that, you know, now with social media and the website and so forth, people will contact me and I can start a conversation. And, and really what I do, the first question I ask is like, Hey, why are you getting it? What's the purpose? What's the reason you're getting that? Because to your point, it, there's a cool factor. It's, it's a sexy rig, but I don't think we should be buying a rig because it's sexy, right? I mean, it's, there's definitely something fun about 
a cool factor about an apparatus. They're all cool, but I think there needs to be a real legitimate reason why you think this is going to be beneficial to your apartment. And so I always like to understand why is it that you want to get that rig? And we that starts the conversation. And then from there, um, I've even we'll have conversations with the department why I take them through a uh, you know I, I have a a presentation that I'll take departments through via Zoom on like, hey, why would you get a TDA? Let's talk about the pros and cons. And what that does is allows me to kind of walk through, here's the pros and cons of it. And now let's talk about why you would get one. And it gives the department an opportunity to, to talk and have a conversation. Because inevitably there's people who don't want the TDA and there's people who want the TDA. And so my job is not to talk you into it. My job is to say, hey, is this the best apparatus for your you know your department based on your needs and what your wants are and then if you decide to go that route then it's fun because now i mean i'm i'm a proclaimed apparatus nerd like i'll talk apparatus all day long and this rig is so cool because of just the sheer size and it's got very unique pieces to it so you and i have done a lot of talking at fdic yeah. about you know the, the different pros and cons of specking this rig and then that gets into like okay let's talk about building this rig for you the best for your department and my goal with that is like, like I have my opinions on what certain things in the rigs. There's certain parts of the rig I, I may be very opinionated about, but at the end of the day, it's your rig. Let's build it for you. And so, there's this cause and effect that occurs. You know, like if I'm going to get a tiller door, right? There's only so many tiller doors you can buy on the market, and certain manufacturers only give you certain styles. But you need to understand that that tiller door is going to affect the back of that trailer in multiple different areas. That's going to be a pro and a con. So. At the end of the day, you want that door for this reason, it's gonna affect this part of the rig. Are you okay with that? If you are, then you've made a good educated decision. But the biggest thing I want you to do is be educated to that. So when someone comes at you, inevitably someone's gonna have an opinion because I don't know if you know this, but the fire service is full of opinions, right? And so we're going to, you're gonna hear that, but at least you can communicate in an educated way as to why you chose that door and you understand the ramifications of that choice, the different parts of the rig and therefore, there's a percentage of why you want this versus that, and that's okay. But and that's, own that, it. That's kind of where I was going to go with that, right? And and you took us there. Is that you don't? You said it earlier. You don't know what you don't know. And the thing is, though, is that when designing and specking out, you know, once they get past that hump of this is why we want to go this route, right? Like you said before, compartmentation. If it's a if it's a smaller department and they're running multiple functions with this truck, this truck might offer them the abilities to uh, to be able to perform rescue, you know, technical rescue and truck company operations. There's enough storage on it, right? Things like that. Yes. But, but what's really interesting, though, and where I want to go with this is departments that have never had one before. I mean, you and I have shot apparatus innovation videos. And for anybody listening, you can go back into our social media and find where Steve and I wander around FDIC for the last two years talking everything TDA. I think this year there were five TDAs there. The year before there was a bunch, right? So there's plenty yep. of from different manufacturers, and they all have different styles, setups, and and so on. And what I found really unique, everything Steve, you and I talked about was stuff that I had no clue to even look for, or understand why, because it has to do exactly with the discipline of the TDA. And so my point of this is, is when you are considering a build on a piece of equipment like that, if you've never operated one before, you need a third party to help you with your design and factor in the things that matter because a handrail or a light makes a difference. You were talking, you know, just to give an example, Steve, you, I remember we were standing there. Uh, I think it was, might've been one of the KMEs and there was, you were like the camera facing this way should actually be faced the other way. 
You know, everybody thinks it needs to be pointed this way, but in fact, you right? I mean, it's just things like that. Yeah, I think, I think you know, you're going to have firefighters that are going to go out there and do the research, and, and I, I love that, right? I mean, get in and figure it out. And what you're typically going to do is you're going to go around to your neighboring departments, you're going to talk to your manufacturer, and he's going to put you in contact with, you know, different trucks and different um, around you, and you're going to learn. And what I've found is, um, I love it when, you know, when firefighters come with a lot of knowledge and so forth, but typically there's, if you've not been on the rig, there's a lot of different things and you're going to, you know, <laughs> you're going to go to the firehouse, you know, your closest firehouse that has one, you're going to ask them and the firefighters will be like, Oh, you got to get this, you got to do this. And I'm always about like, well, tell me why, like, tell me the reason why that's important. And because do you understand yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you understand that that affects this? Right. So are you okay with that? Like, if you're okay with that, then great. But just don't take someone's, you know, just don't take someone's opinion just because they're all hyped up about it and they're saying this is the best thing since sliced bread. You need to be asking more questions as to why and what are the downsides to that because of the cause and effect of a decision that's made. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think that I'm able to share is just knowledge of, you know, one of the benefits and the blessings of being able to crisscross across the countries. I'm seeing all manufacturers. Yeah. I'm seeing all kinds of different things. I mean, you are always on your guys' page, always throwing out different things. And, you know, in the early days, it was always a home run. And there were some things that were cool stuff, right? Like that's a cool, that's a cool thing that someone did, you know, whether they fabricated themselves or they came up with the idea. And, and I just saw one recently um, out of Knoxville, Tennessee, the chief out there, um, you know, and he came up with this idea about the, because the, the tiller, the tiller uh, cabinet in the back, generally in the back of the, sta- uh, back of the station has um, a, um, uh, a compartment that you can put back there. And so, um, you know, it, it, what, what he did, and I can't, I, I'm not sure if I'm, you know, Chief Greg Lampkin uh, was his name, good, solid dude out in Knoxville. I uh, really enjoyed my friendship with him. And I, I'm not sure if I'm giving him credit for it or if he f- saw it from somewhere else. But basically, your boots, when you put your boots in the back of that tiller cab, uh, they get squashed and you have to push them sideways. So they cut out a little uh, hole uh, in there. And, and, you know, uh, Pierce was the one that did this and basically uh, made a little hole for the, the toes of the boots to fit in there. So when you close the cabinet, yeah, the bunking gear was put in there plush. It's beautiful. Like, of course, I'm taking pictures of that because I want to show it to next people and so forth. But it's that kind of stuff where I'm going to see something unique and that you just don't normally see. And I can put it part of my repertoire of showing people the different stuffs out there and then the different choices you could have. And that's a niche, unique thing, but there are certain things that I feel like, Hey, you need to understand that that buzzing sound is not a good buzzing sound. You need to change it and do it this way because there are six different buzzes going off and you need to distinguish the differences between this. And this one does require a distinguishing factor because of the importance of that safety wise, those types of things. So, uh, or, you know, a switch goes here versus putting it here. And the manufacturer is going to always put the switch here because that's where they always put the switch. But you need to make sure it goes here because you're not going to like it there. And, and those types of things. Um, there's so many different things well, to speak of. Yeah, Stephen, that's where I, I always say it. I think I coin it in, in most podcasts. Experience matters. You know, this is this is where street smart practical experience and exposure to a specific product line such as the TDA matters. If you don't know, you don't know. So we need people that know to be able to share those tips, tricks, and hacks and how to build and design and, and the theory behind it and the, and the operational experience. And it goes to what you were saying, process, 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 process. It matters. It absolutely matters. 
Talk to me a little bit then uh, after the build and so on. I get my TDA comes in. What do we want to do? What are what are some priorities that you and your team look at? Like, okay, we're going to go do a delivery, uh, you know, training or something like that. Like, because it's not just maneuverability. I mean, that's a big part of it. But the functionality of this truck, I mean, it has to do with positioning, right? I mean, there's better ways to position this apparatus versus a rear mount or a mid mount and things like that. So there's a lot that has to be taken into consideration on delivery now. Well, there is. I mean, when you're talking about position, you're, you are talking about, you know, different characteristics. You know, you're talking about two outriggers versus your four for a rear mount or your six for a, you know, a, a, a mid mount tower, right? Um, and what does that mean? Well, two outriggers means a couple benefits, right? What you're getting there is you're getting, um, you know, the, the capability of how quick you can be to deploy the outriggers, therefore get up to your turntable. Um, it also means, and like we're big fans of short jacking. Like I think short jacking is over underutilized because if I'm going to throw my aerial to the working side and I'm never going to throw it to the non-working side unless there's some unique situation. So I'm not saying always, but typically when you get to the scene, you can tell pretty obviously if you're going to be you know, using the aerial off that working side. If I short jacket, that means I'm only putting one outrigger out, which means it's even quicker. And it also gives me ease of putting it between two cars or if I've got tight situations in that capacity. And so, you know, just, just the ease of overall footprint. Now we're talking about foot, you know, two outriggers, which was four or six. Um, and then the other part of the position that's unique about this apparatus is it's the bendy straw apparatus of the National Fire Service, right? It's the bendy truck. Well, that means it's bending in the middle, right? At that, that fifth wheel connection, it's bending. Well, how does that benefit me? Well, that means I, with the tractor, can push that turntable closer to my objective, which means if I was able to push it 10 feet closer, that means I'm getting 10 feet you know, more reach with my, my aerial. And I can be very specific in my capability of where I want to push it, where some of the other apparatus, you're, it's a little more challenging because you're moving the entire rig versus I'm just moving the middle part of the rig and pushing it closer to you know, my objective Sure. As I see it. So if I've got a, you know, two cars or I've got a parking or a entrance to a parking lot, I can push it into there and, you know, with jackknifing the, the, the tractor and pushing that fifth wheel in, I could go a good 20 feet, you know, and get closer to an object if I have the space and capability with whatever the scene provides me. So, you know, showing them how to maneuver the rig and then setting it up for use. Now we're talking about we're much more potentially better off operationally as far as, hey, I wanna use that aerial to get to where I wanna to get to. And so that becomes another aspect of a benefit of this rig that a lot of people don't think about or they don't understand because it bends in the middle and that's weird to them. Like, I don't get it. And I totally understand that, right? So we wanna show and understand that, show people how to do that. I think it's so wild to watch the videos of how maneuverable these trucks truly are. Right, because the overall length on these things. What are the what are the lengths? They're over fifty feet long. No. Well, typically your typical fire, your typical TA now is sixty feet long. Sixty feet long. Yep, and you'll see them up to sixty two, sixty three. <laughs> although I don't advise that. Yeah, I don't advise that. But that's they can get up there. But nowadays people are trying to push them back into like the. I mean, I'll tell you the difference of driving and telling a rig at fifty or sixty feet versus fifty eight. That two feet, no, 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 let me just make a disclaimer. The 60-foot tiller rig is incredibly maneuverable. Sure. I mean, it's, it still can get you where you need to go. 
But when you lop off two feet off of that, the difference of that is significant. Like you actually can see it and notice it. Now, some people will build a 56 foot long tiller and you wanna talk about maneuverable to the nth degree. We have an old American of France in our department still, we own it, the city owns it, or the fire department owns it, I should say. And um, cause we lease all of our other apparatus and <clears throat> the way the city works, but yeah. it's American of France. It's 50, it's just about 55, 54 feet long. We call it the sports cars, the sports car of TVA world. I mean, it's <laughs> so maneuverable. And so when you operate a 56 foot TDA, like the, the sheer ability to get places, it, it just, it goes to another level. And for someone who's drives, you know, until there's ones that are 60 feet to 56, it's noticeable. Like it's, I mean, I get so excited when I'm working with an apartment, they're going to build a shorter TDA. Like some apartments have to build that because they need, you know, a pump on the tractor per se. And they, they, they've got to have that. It's just part of what right. they're required to have. Uh, but when you can build a shorter one, I mean, it's it's amazing the difference. Yeah. So what else, man? I mean, break this down for me. I know how passionate you are about this. I mean, you live and breathe this. You travel all the time. I mean, you, you're just so busy with it. And it's so prevalent. And with the popularity of them, you know, kicking into high gear, I mean, your services, I'm sure, are being required more and more. What are we? What haven't we talked about? What? Are, what give me some other juicy tidbits about the TDA that, uh, that makes them exciting. Well, I mean, again, with the smaller departments looking at this now what's happened is departments are looking at okay um how would i implement this and so one of the one of the you know i always like to talk about there's pros and there's cons and cons can be pros as well it depends on how you look at it but you're going to need two people to operate this rig so that that becomes for some departments they look at that as a challenge like well how am i going to do that um and i always you know try to share with them like the biggest hurdle you've got to get over is that initial training hurdle get everybody the certain group of, you know, depending on how many people you have in your apartment, certain amount of people that's going to be trained. But after that becomes much more easier to do that. But what do you get out of that? Well, you, you've got two firefighters that can steer this thing to where it needs to get. And that's where I see people getting really creative. And what I'm seeing, we were teaching the department in Texas and they had a, you know, a, a box truck, rescue truck at the station. And they had a straight frame rear mount as a truck. And so basically they would ride the truck everywhere and if, it, if a rescue call came in they would jump on the the, the rescue box truck and, and go out but if they were out and about and got a rescue call they had to drive you know respond back to the station jump in the rescue and, and go out right and so they ended up buying the tiller and, and combining everything on the truck and everything on the rescue and putting it on the tiller and they were still able to get more equipment on that rig which really you know, gives them more versatility and more capability of being able to now, wherever they go, the rescue is with them and they have that capability. And so seeing departments do that has been a really interesting um, component that I never thought, you know, like I'm in the bigger city, so we don't need that. We've got apparatus coming on top of us, right? We, we've got the heavy rescue coming uh, by themselves, all staff, but some of these smaller apartments don't have that capability. And, and seeing them being able to do that has been a, has been a huge change and opens the eyes to a smaller municipality that wasn't thinking that, yeah, I was, I was going to get this. Now I'm, I, I can start looking at this as a viable way of, of operating. Was that at the lake? Uh, yeah, so Cannon Lake, they yeah, did that. Yep. So um, we were there. Yep. We saw that truck firsthand. We, we spent some time yeah. there with the chief uh, and so on. And um, I'll tell you, that truck still had real estate for growth. 
they had, you know, they had all their rescue equipment on it, all their truck company equipment. They were really well put together. It was a well-designed truck, and they still had plenty of space to add equipment as they go. <clears throat> well, and, and what's interesting, um, you know, you think about that, Canyon Lake, Texas, like that, that's not, that's a big rural area. Yes. <laughs> There's very. no major downtown city area. So you would never think that there would be a tiller rig there, but because of some of their windy roads and their capability of getting to in and out of houses down by the lake, that rig allowed them to have the maneuverability of getting in and out of there, you know? And, um, and again, when you're talking about compartments, you know, I always look at, I always look at talking about compartments in, in a couple areas. One is just the sheer volume of space you get with it. Right. So you're going to get, Nowadays, you can get up to 550 cubic feet of space where you think about your typical straight frame rear mount, um, you know, you're looking anywhere from 150 to 300 cubic feet of space where now you can get up to, you know, 600 feet of cubic feet of space. And so that gives you a lot of capability. But I think there's a couple of areas when you think about one is access to the equipment. So when you open that door, Typically, you're grabbing the equipment and you're going, you know, when you think about your rear mount or your mid mount, you know, a lot of times because space is, is, is not a lot of space, you're opening up that compartment, you're taking a couple of pieces of equipment out to get to your piece of equipment. So access is easy. And even like when you think about the outside of the rig, there's so much surface space in the outside of this yes. rig that you can put a lot of tools on the outside. Uh, we were just in PG uh, County where they put a... Um, a uh, VS ladder, small cutoff, you know, ground ladder, VS ladder, right behind the turntable, right in front of the generator, which typically is a space that's underutilized. And, you know, this is a piece of equipment that's not used all the time. So it can go on the outside of the apparatus and they can grab it when they need it. Um, or you're putting lots of tools on the apparatus, like your New York hooks, your irons. So for me to get off my rig, um, you know, I can get off the rig and our, 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 our irons were off the uh, outside. So I'm able to, don't have to open a compartment, boom, I'm grabbing it and I'm going. Um, or you're, you know, now every day the craze is nowadays the little giant, like that's the ladder everybody wants to have on their truck. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, okay, if you're gonna use that ladder, let's not put it in a compartment because we just don't use it a lot. So let's put it on the outside, attach it to the outside of the, the rig. So if you don't have like, say a pump on the back of your tractor, boom, you slap it on the back of your tractor or you put it up under the aerial there's so much space right um and then think about ergonomics so a lot of people don't think about this but as a firefighter you get off the rig you got your pack on if you're you know on a say like a rear mount straight frame that typically we're gonna have compartments a little higher so if you're not taller it's a little more challenging to get to that, that those upper compartments right or sometimes we'll put equipment under the aerial on a rear mount straight frame right so sometimes you gotta have a firefighter jump up there climb up there and then hand the equipment down to the firefighter. So if you just think of the ergonomics of that, can we do it? Absolutely can do it. But the ergonomics, it does take more to do that where a TDA, you're opening that compartment and typically you're grabbing the equipment at chest height or waist height and you're moving. So overall, you know, life of the truck and life of you in the fire service, ergonomically that, that, that lends itself to a better, you know, modality as far as movement of getting equipment on and off. So I always like to think of this rig as one is the overall space, two is the access to this equipment, and then three, the ergonomics of getting to it, like the physical act of 
manipulating and getting to my equipment. I want to be quick and fast on it. And it should be said too, the amount of ground ladder, your ground ladder compliment, oh, right. Is, you know, because that, I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, it goes hand in hand, right? One, it's a, you know, it's the primary function is a truck company, but two, you're talking about, and you said it very early on, the maneuverability of this apparatus brings a lot of equipment to the front door of wherever you need to get this thing. And so to be able to have a massive complement of ground ladders, which TDAs are known to be able to carry and, and handle, is extremely important as well. Oh, I mean, it's a ladder truck, right? And so, and, and here's the cool thing. You're building, you're specking out of the rig. So let's say, for example, your department requires you to have a pump on the tractor. Okay, you're required to have it. And so now it's splitting, you know, it's use, but it's still, you still have an entire trailer <laughs> that you can put stuff on. And typically when you have a pump, you're going to have to put some hose on that trailer, but you still have an enormous amount of area, surface area that you could put, you know, your ladders on. So for example, I remember going out doing training for, uh, Richmond, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So they get this TDA and they decide, Hey, we're going to build a ladder truck. Like we're going to put a lot of ladders on this. And so they put a ton of ladders on. I remember they had, uh, off the sides. So they had a 35 and a 16 foot roofer on each side. So just think about it. Firefighter gets off, not opening, you know, they right. have to open up the back of the door. They just grab it and go on either side. So they have access to that up on the aerial. They had a 16 foot and a 16 foot on each side of the aerial. Up on top, they had like a little roof ladder. I remember like a 15-foot roof ladder just laying on top of the compartments because there was open space. And then you open up their ladder tunnel. And, I mean, it was like just yeah. ladders galore. They had a right. 45, 28, 28, 35. And at the end of that, you're talking about a ladder truck that's bringing 370 feet of ground ladder to the fire <laughs> seat. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. and again, they went heavy on the ground ladders. So what's the cause of that? Well, I'm not going to have as many outside compartments, but that's what they were building, right? This area also didn't have a master pre-plumb water stream. Like, and it was just interesting the choices they made. And I was just like, I was in love with this ladder truck. It was like a true ground ladder truck, and they were yeah. bringing. And they they really what they were also doing is they're sending a message to their firefighters. Like when we get to the scene. We want ground ladders up. That's important to us. And so much so we're going to give you a piece of equipment that gives you capability of doing just that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the functionality of it is huge. And I, I think that that is really, you know, when you break it down, I mean, the, 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 the trailer itself is just the shell, right? I mean, you can, you know, yeah. most compartments are transverse, right? It's a lot of open real estate that you can get super creative in mounting your equipment. And what you can, what you can and can't do with it. I mean, you could do more can than can't, I think, but it's just a, a super versatile piece of equipment. Um, it should be said though, that it is super special and it takes experience and knowledge and know-how to operate and build one. And, um, and I think that's what and why you stand out so well, the, the amount of apparatus innovation content we've done on TDAs together has been really eye opening for me. And I, I appreciate that because it gives me an understanding because I've never operated on one, you know, I've never had the, the ability to operate. I've driven one on a, on a training ground once in my life. Um, but that's my only exposure to it. And so if you run them every day, I still think there's probably room for improvement. There's still room for experience and knowledge. Um, but, you know, for an outsider looking in, they look like a lot of fun, but they're a lot of work. Well, I would say the one thing that's kind of hard to quantify that I've seen over the years is 
um, the spree the core. What this rig does yeah. to a a group of firefighters um, is amazing. And I've I've literally seen. I remember going to an apartment where we were training, and, and one of the one of the guys that we were training because we were doing a train a trainer, um, he was he was going to retire in two years, and so um, they 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 vassaled back and forth like, hey, should we even bring him on because he's going to retire? But he was so experienced in the department, and they wanted a senior guy teaching, so he was a grumpy old salt, and uh, boy was he grumpy, but just one of those lovable grumpy guys, and. Um, he took to this stuff like you wouldn't believe. And, and I was talking to his captain who I've become real good friends with um, later on. And he said, hey, he was supposed to retire. He's not retiring. He won't retire. He's he's loving the job again That's because cool. of what this rig has done. Yeah. It's brought the spring core back in. And now he can't wait to train the young guys. And he loves to drive this rig and come to work. So it gets people excited, inspires them, encourages them. And, you know, we're little kids. I always say when I'm teaching, we're all a bunch of second graders, you know, in the firehouse and <laughs> just want to have fun, right? I, I, we're supposed to have fun, right? I mean, we're supposed to be enjoying the job. And, yeah. and I think that that is an important part that sometimes gets lost, right? I mean, I, you know, I went to a fire today and it was just, it was nice. Oh, you. It, I, tell me about it, man. It's been, a, it's been a dry spell, you know, and it was nice. I went between podcasts today, I caught a, a job and it was a way game. We go in. We come back out. It's fantastic, right? And and so it was just it's that it's that passion that your, your fuse gets lit again, right? Like you 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 yes. you know you go to a fire, you come out, you break it down, you change your cylinders, and the guys are all smiling and and you know happy they're dirty, and you know it's like a reset button, and you know yeah. the the TDA can do the same. It 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 certainly brings forth, I don't know, some excitement. I mean, people when you look at people walking into like a, a big show and there's a TDA at the door when everybody walks yes. in, everybody <laughs> stops, right? Everybody it's, it's like a, it's just different. And it, 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 ex, it like extrudes a, 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 just a beam of light that says like, you know, this is what you want. This is where we are. This is where you want to be. Like everybody stops and looks at a TDA, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's Very cool, man. So. I love it. What's next for you guys? I mean, I am shocked tonight that you're on the call with me without Josh, your handler, because usually you're not allowed to communicate with me without him, <laughs> you know, making sure that you're behaving. Um, I did say that you were going to speak more than me tonight, and you did. And I think yeah. this was a fantastic episode. I appreciate you as a brother and a friend. What's next for Steve Crothers and Tractor Drawn Aerial? Yeah, I want to just shout out to Josh. I, I do appreciate all the help he gives me um, over the years, for sure. I just, um, I just, yeah. I love watching him when you and I get going, right? Because this is this has been a little bit different. I thought it was going to be a little bit different tonight. I thought we were, it was going to be a lot more like you know back and forth laughter and poking fun at each other because we do a lot of that. <laughs> um, but I think we got that out of our system before we hit the record button tonight. But you he know, did. truly though, he was he always is there as like the handler, and I I just I appreciate that because I know. No, I need one. So I'm sure you do too. And and he's the guy that makes you look good. Well, it's, you know, I mean, really <laughs> I, all credit should go to my, uh, my wife. It's my wife who allows me to, who supports me in all that I do. There's no way I of can course. do this. I know Terry, Terry's the same for you. Uh, 100%. And there's no way you do that as well. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel very fortunate with the people around me, the, the team that um, are so passionate about going out there and doing this. And I've got some guys that just have some serious skills that are just really want to share their passion. And that's fun. And I think, 
you know, to answer your question, we're just, we're continuing. Um, it's, it is a little bit overwhelming some of the, <laughs> some of the things that we're doing, um, but just so fortunate to be able to share our message and our, you know, our vision to what we're trying to do is this, as this rigs become so popular and we have an opportunity to, to be in that space where we're able to share with people kind of what this is. And so we have a lot of, you know, we'll be all over the country this year um, as we have been for the last 15 years and really, you know, it's, it's a blessing to go into someone else's house, the firehouse, and spend a week with them and get to know them. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, we're all the same, but there's just a different little flavor and you always get a chance to get a chance to see what that flavor is. And that is such, you know, yeah. just, I'm really humbled to have the opportunity to do that. And, and to even what you guys do, Jeremy, I mean, you guys are doing, you know, you're, you're sharing the message from the fire service so it doesn't get lost. And I think that's what I really love about National Fire Radio is that, that process that you guys are dedicated towards, which is say, hey, there's so much greatness to this fire service. Let's let's capture it in these little these these subject matter experts, these these people who have knowledge that we want to share, make sure everybody can hear what what we do day in, day out. I love being a fireman. Like how yeah. how do you not? And then how do you not want to share that with the world? Like, and for me, yeah, man, I mean, it's it's um it's certainly a passion, but it's it's also uh, a job. And it's, uh, you know, my passion runs deep enough that I will take time away from all my priorities in life, my family, my kids, my wife, to be able to sit here on a podcast and do this. But I believe in the value of that. And I think that for me, that's kind of the sacrifice that I put forward. And I appreciate that, Steve. And I know you and I've talked at length about uh, the job. And, and what's really fun is if if people were like a, a fly on the wall to our normal conversations, we don't even talk. <laughs> we don't even talk about TDAs, right? Like we just yeah. talk about life and the, and, and the fire service and, you know, b- running businesses. I mean, you know, those, I've kind of, I've found too that some of the episodes that we've done where we talk some business stuff, we get a lot of feedback from, from brothers and sisters that own their own businesses outside of the firehouse or, or in the volunteer sector that their main job is, you know, is another career. And, and when we talk about things like that, and I, I truly enjoy you and, you know, you and, and the conversations that we've had. Um, and, and I appreciate you for that. And you're older than me. So you're wiser. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll say on that piece. Um, and you know, Jaron, you and I've talked about the grind, right? Yeah. hundred percent, man. I didn't, I didn't start this, to, to do this like this is something that started to happen and that's right and over time it's become you know something of a passion and, and sure. so enjoying that and so you know as you and i've talked about what the grind means and and i just what is that process is not easy by any means but it's so rewarding and if you really believe in something you, you have you know there's so much you're willing to put time and effort into it and, and just keep grinding you squeeze and squeeze and pretty soon you start to see that juice and that starts to you, know, you start to see the fruits of your labor and then you get excited and that pushes you more. But, but again, I think, I think it's more than that. It's, you're generally, you know, you're doing it for a higher purpose other than yourself. When, when you can see the impact that it has on, you know, firefighters, departments in, in the fire service overall, it's an incredible, I don't know, it's, it's incredible to see that, but you have to be, you know, the incredible amount of intentionality you have to be for your mission is something that takes so much you know, just the grind. I mean, yeah. like I said, you and I talked about what that, what that means. And it, it comes at a price sometimes, you know, we got family, we got sure work, we got other responsibilities. And um, it's sometimes funny when someone might say something like, Oh, it's, that seems like an obvious thing. And it's like, well, I took years to develop yeah. that obvious thing that your ears are now hearing that you've never heard before. 
and all of a sudden you're you're you're, you're taking for granted for the fact that like hey that there's a lot of people out here that are doing things that taken a lot of time to develop something so that, so it's much easier for you to digest or understand and i i just appreciate that process and i i'd say too that i think the the journey is the process that is um what people you know i think the journey is part of that i i have found now that i stop and try to pay attention to the journey i'm uh it's not necessarily the end result which is always good but it's i'm gonna learn so much in that process and you can't get i guess i'd say like what i've learned about the grind and try to pay attention to this is is i love the journey and the reward that can it can be far greater than what the product is but without the journey there's no product right and it's that process i, I could i couldn't agree anymore and i think part of the problem is sometimes we don't stop like ferris bueller right sometimes you got to stop and look around right like you know you you that journey you're going to miss the journey if you don't take a second to you know enjoy it and for me i'm a big process guy i'm a big people guy people and process are two huge things for me and the journey matters. And I, when I talk about experience and experience matters, it's because along your journey, right, or along that path that you're following, right, and sometimes you make a, a, a turn and it's not the right turn and you got to backtrack. And sometimes you make, you know, you, you take a guess and you guess right. But that journey, it's all of that put together, which makes you the human being you are and the message you're willing to deliver, and yeah. um, and we can't lose sight of that journey. And whether that's just a backstep fireman or a chief of a department or anywhere else in between, don't lose track of the journey, man, because, you know, that's that that journey has made you who you are today. And it matters. That matters. Yeah, I, I think when I start a project now or I'm involved in a project, now I'm more I'm intentional about recognizing where I'm at in that because um i'm more patient and i understand that something's going to come from this something's going to be produced from that but the relationships the the forge them forging with relationships whether it be with manufacturers or departments or firefighters or just my friends family that's the part where like hey something's going to come out of this and i'm always excited like i don't know what it is but i know it's going to be there and you know like i i didn't know how to make a website i didn't know how to you know do social media to edit videos this is right. something that's along the way just yeah. figuring it out yep you know and yeah watching what other people are doing and learning how other people are doing getting inspired by other people i mean i get encouraged by watching you know national fire radio or some other entity that i'm like wow they're doing it well you know like I, I recognize the hard work it takes to do what they're doing yeah for sure and and uh and with that too i talk to a lot of businesses off the air, right? So, you know, obviously we all have relationships, not, not in, not in the social media realm too. And a lot of the businesses, a lot of firefighter owned businesses or manufacturers that I work with, I talk about some things and well, I'm very candid with, with how I talk to people, as you know, and, and we're pretty open and honest. And I, I think that's where you get value out of conversation. But I say to a lot of business owners when they're working so hard, because I recognize that grind that you spoke of, I, I trust me, I live it every single day. And I've learned that sometimes you got to just take a breath and sit back and enjoy the fruits of your hard work. And I had a hard time with that for a long time, but only recently I'm starting to realize more and more that, you know, the hard work that we put in, we should also reap some reward from that. And if it takes me to sit back for a day or take an afternoon off or a day off to sit back, get that 30,000 foot view of what you've built or what you're doing and get some satisfaction in that. That matters because in the long part, you know, that journey, that's where it matters most. And so, you know, you can't get 
too you can't get locked down bogged down too much you got to be able to sometimes take a take a step back and enjoy the hard work and hustle that you've created and built it matters it, it does and um that's hard to do what you just said <laughs> oh, it's, it's incredibly hard to do but i you know i'm i'm finding it to be a little bit easier every time i decide to do that and, uh, yeah. you know, and I think it matters. And it also, you know, recharge. I went to a fire today, man. Recharge my batteries, man. Like I was I'm feeling Absolutely. great, you know, and like I want to dive in and I want to do things about it. And I, it makes me want to work harder, makes me want to stay up an extra hour tonight to to edit yes. the podcast or whatever it is. Right. Like it matters. So, listen, you know what else matters? You you matter to me. I appreciate your friendship. We've gone over an hour. That's the cardinal rule, man. I'm not going over an hour. You're my only podcast now that I've gone over an hour with. I think. Yeah, right. All right. That's not true. <laughs> but listen, man, I, Steve, thank you for taking, uh, a, you know, an hour tonight and, uh, just chatting with me, man. It was nice to catch up. Um, certainly talk about the TDA, which I think is just, uh, that iconic fire truck that we all know and love, uh, represents the fire service very well. And, uh, you guys, you and your crew are certainly making an impact in that realm, man. So I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you. Jeremy, thank you for the opportunity truly to just share kind of our passion and what we do. And, and again, you know, um, it, it is something to be able to, you know, just sit here and have a conversation and now people get to hear that. That's a pretty cool thing that, yeah. that exists and that's part of what you guys do. And that's why I support what you guys do. And I really appreciate just the avenue that, that national fire radio gives a perspective to the fire service that we never had before. So thank you for that too. And just the opportunity to, share with people what we do and, and just the coolness of this rig and really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Well, you got to listen. You're, you're a guest on the show. You're welcome back anytime. So anything new or exciting pops up, please hit me up and let me know. We'll get you back on and talk about it. Uh, where can people find you? They want to reach out to you. They need a little more information. I know your website is fantastic. It's tractordrawnaerial.com. Uh, I know the website's very, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's up on the screens in front of me just to, you know, so on. But where else can they get you, Steve, or if there's an email or something where they can reach out? Yeah, I mean, um, the website's probably the best way to get a hold of me. You can always DM me on social media, Good. Instagram or Facebook as well. But, the you know, just go to uh, Tractor on Arrow and there's a spot you can reach out to me and, and uh, hit me up. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast, and I'm going to hop right back to you, okay? Gotcha. Thanks, man. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Lieutenant Steve Crothers from the West Coast, my man, TractorDrawnAerial.com. One of the these is one of the guys that I truly value and uh, and I enjoy talking with. So I hope you got um, I hope you brought some value out of this conversation today. I certainly did. We talked about a lot of things that I'm not even aware about uh, in the world of tractor drawn aerials. So take this conversation, take it back to the kitchen table, and tell your chief, your battalion chief, and all the guys at your table that you want a tractor drawn aerial instead of that rear mount you're riding tonight, and uh, continue the conversation because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.